Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I am uh, broadcasting from a new location. Um, I'm extremely tired, so I hope that I uh, that I sound okay here. Uh, we just moved from our old place to a new place. Uh, I live by the sea now. Um, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, where we lived was very uh, was very hectic, but we were in a uh, we're the only people in the building where we lived before, and now we're in a complex where there's more people. So if you if I sound like I'm talking quietly, it's because I don't quite know what the boundaries of my volume are going to be living in this apartment. I'm trying to respect the space. So um, so yeah. So I just want to talk about a few things today. Uh, you know, just a couple of off-topic things. Um, first off, Sons of Lady eighty seven is available in print. I would encourage people to go check it out. Um, you know, it's a uh, I, I think it's a really wonderful uh, campaign book. It really highlights um, just kind of how I run Wandering Heroes of Overgate and it expands on a lot of the material and it's it's really probably the best expression of what an Overgate campaign really looks like uh, when I'm running it uh, minus some of the supernatural elements. This version is much more human-centric because it's set within the Empire and so if people follow my blog they know that a lot of my campaigns have more supernatural elements so that's the only thing that uh, makes this one a little bit different, but I've been running this one for about five years now, so it's um, it's very typical of how I run things, and it'll give you a good idea of how to how to keep things going without those supernatural elements, which I think is something that I, I hear a lot of people looking for. Um, so again, check it out. I think it's it's worth looking into. Also, I have a um, uh, a recent podcast up here where we're talking about the Terminator. Um, we're going to talk about Terminator Two as well, so I encourage people to check that out. Um, and just in terms of what I'm working on, uh, I'm resuming work on Strange Tales New England, uh, and I'm also kind of slowly easing into Righteous Blood Ruthless Blades for a possible supernatural expansion. I still have to sort of find out all the details of scheduling and everything, so I don't want to uh, give too much away there. But we've been talking about it, and we're just kind of also looking at like how we're going to do it and all that stuff, um, both in terms of what we're going to actually do. We actually have a pretty good idea of what the the book is going to contain and we have a lot of material written already but in terms of um you know how it's going to be released and that kind of thing i also have uh, uh some books here that i've been reading which i want to talk about um again i uh i've been doing uh strange tales new england and that's really based around uh you know local supernatural stuff um and i apologize for the background noise there um I, I, again i live in an apartment now so you may occasionally hear, uh, you know, people in the hall or people downstairs. So uh, just until I can soundproof this, uh, there's just going to be sounds. So, um, so yeah. So I got a, a book which I've I've actually read before on um, on my Kindle, but something that I've found is that, uh, and this is all by the way, in pursuit of writing Strange Tales in New England. Um, something that I found is uh, when I read things on Kindle. I don't retain the information as well. Um, so I've been planning on going back and rereading some things. So for example, I read Legion, uh, I want to say like a year ago or something. I can't remember exactly when, um, the Peter Blatty book. And it was, it was very good. It held my interest and I remembered a lot, but I felt like I didn't retain as much long-term information from that book as I would as if I had read it in print. And I think that's just a product of me growing up reading books in print. I don't know if people that grew up on Kindle would have that same issue, but for whatever reason, 
something about physically touching the page and turning the page and being very aware of where I am in the book is all an important part of my memory. Um, and so I just don't remember things as well when they're in Kindle. I still can get good information out of a Kindle book. I can still enjoy them and they're great for saving space. So I use them for that. Um, and, and the place that we moved into actually has very little space. So not only have I had to throw away all of the books that I have at, at my house for the most part, with the exception of some key RPG books and some key research books. And I mean key, I mean like not even like a, a row of books on a shelf. Um, but when I buy books here and read them, I'm going to have to throw them away or give them away uh, because we just don't have the space for it here. We, we moved into a very, very small apartment. Um, where I live in, in Massachusetts, it's pretty expensive to get an apartment. And the, um, uh, the area we moved into, we got a pretty good, pretty good deal. But in order to get that, that deal, because we, we wanted to move to like a, a safer neighborhood, that kind of thing, um, we had to go for a really small apartment. Uh, and it's a nice apartment. We really like it. Um, and it's got really high ceilings, which is cool, but you can't really walk around in, in the high ceiling. So, um, so yeah, so we're, uh, you know, we're just learning to make do with the space and, you know, that's, uh, relevant to the reading that I'm talking about today, because I, uh, like I said, I've been, uh, I have been going back and trying to read things that I found on Kindle, but I, I just, uh, I have to, you know, once I read this, I'm basically going to have to either throw it out after a month or two um, uh, or, you know, take screenshots of pages that I know have information I need, but uh, I just won't have the space for this stuff. So the first one, um, and again, these are, one thing I would encourage people to do, uh, especially if you're doing the kind of book that I'm doing, um, where it's just based on local legends and lore, uh, most bookstores have a local section and you'd really be surprised the kind of stuff you could find there. A lot of it's quirky, a lot of, some of it's really, you know, high quality, but you can just get stuff that you wouldn't normally see if you were on Amazon or something. Um, and you, I think you'd be surprised how many historical societies, how many local museums and so forth have, you know, have small books on really niche topics. And as I've been working on Strange Tales New England, that's been one of the big challenges is finding finding information about really obscure paranormal things of interest uh, in local legends and when i started i thought it would be very easy because i thought there'd be tons of books on massachusetts monsters and stuff like that and there are books like that but a lot of times when i was looking for something very specific i couldn't find it um, and you kind of had to come to things in a roundabout way or there were books, but they weren't widely available on Amazon. And if they were, they weren't as searchable as a more prominent book would be. So it would just take longer to find things. Um, and this is a subject that I've had interest in for a while. Um, uh, you know, there, I, 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 I started getting really into sort of cryptid stuff and things like that, um, you know, sometime in the mid-2000s. Like I grew up watching X-Files and things like that, but I wasn't deep into the lore, that sort of stuff. But I had read about something called the Dover Demon, and that really sparked my interest as a writer. And when I first got into writing, one of my actually, so when I first got into writing, I wasn't planning on doing RPGs. I was planning on writing short stories and stuff. And I actually did used to write a lot of horror short stories. And I had heard about this Dover Demon, and I wanted to write a story about it. And I was actually planning a trip to Dover. Dover's a place in Massachusetts. It's a little far from where I am, but it's not too far. Uh, but it's kind of out in... Uh, 
uh, an area that I don't, you know, I don't really know much about. Um, and I had read about it. Um, and again, the name of the book escapes me, but it's actually a pretty, uh, well-known book. Um, but I had read about it in this book that was, you know, all about different, different cryptids and different, uh, sort of, you know, paranormal things, uh, across America. Um, in fact, I think across America is in the title. I got, I have the book somewhere, but I just can't recall the name right now. Um, and so that's what, uh, really sort of sparked my interest in writing. And I always knew I wanted to come back and do something like that. Uh, so when I came back to this, I, again, I thought that I was going to have an easier time finding some of the books that I wanted, but it turned out it was actually quite a challenge. Uh, also this book isn't purely about paranormal stuff. There's a lot of other themes in it. So, you know, a lot of my research isn't just on, you know, uh, you know, local supernatural legends and folklore. A lot of it is um, focused on, you know, like very religious things and very, um, uh, uh, and, and again, things like the exorcist, that source. I'm, I'm blending a lot of different ideas into this setting. Um, so it's not purely a New England horror setting. And so the first book is A History of Vampires in New England. And I read it before. I honestly didn't remember a lot of the book, though. So it's, 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 it's almost like reading it again. And I think, again, that was a product of reading the thing on Kindle. Um, I also might have just been reading it very quickly and not, uh, not thinking that I was going to apply. At the time, I didn't think that, that the material from this book and other, I had a couple of other books on this topic. I didn't think that that was going to really make its way into the game. Because I had other ideas about how I wanted to do vampires and stuff, but over time I became convinced it would be pretty important to include, and so I've kind of gone back to it. Now I'm at step one again, where I'm just kind of you know, uh, in, in martial arts we call it baby mind or child mind, which is sometimes your own sense of confidence about what you know interferes with your ability to pick up new information. So the idea is you go back and you just erase what you think you know and you just start over. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm doing here. And I'm, uh, building a new set of lore in the camp, in the, um, setting book, uh, sort of from the ground up, uh, you know, as I'm doing this. And so this is a history of vampires in New England. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure how to pronounce the author's last name. So I'm just going to attempt to, but his name is, uh, Thomas D'Augustino. Um, and he writes a lot of, like, I have a ton of books by this guy. He writes a lot of stuff. Um, he's got a very conversational style. Uh, you know, it's mostly, you know, like, you know, local legends and lore, that kind of thing. Um, there's a few other writers in that category and they all, you know, you, what will happen is you'll find like one name and then you'll see like 20 books by that person and they'll all be kind of in a general region. Um, so this is about, a, a, a vampire craze that happened in New England and it was, uh, it's interesting because, and again, I, I still haven't uh, finished rereading this, so I, I don't really remember all the details, but uh, my understanding is the term vampire wasn't actually used by the people that were involved in the vampire panic, that it was something that newspapers applied to the story. And essentially it was once consumption was a big thing, and there was a unique sort of New England take on it that was probably a product of all different kinds of groups coming from different parts of Europe and everything kind of getting put into a mixture um, and then taking on a sort of unique New England flavor of its own. Uh, but the cool thing about the New England vampire, at least in some of these early accounts, there's, there's different variations on it, is the idea is the vampire's body never actually leaves the grave, that its spirit leaves the grave and it drinks the blood and then 
feeds the body in that manner. And so that will fill the heart with, um, with blood. Uh, and that's how you know that a vampire is there. They dig up the grave and there's a heart swollen with blood. Um, and it's pretty limited to the family members of, uh, of the, uh, of the vampire. Um, I know there's that movie, um, by Mario Bava that we, uh, um, we talked about Black Sabbath. There's a vampire that's kind of similar, um, where he sort of specifically goes after family. And this is kind of like that, except it's all tied to consumption. And so the idea was people would have consumption, they would waste away, and it resembled what they thought of as, you know, sort of being feasted upon by a spirit. And it was assumed that a recently deceased family member was somehow to blame for this. Um, so it's a really interesting book. Um, you know, I'm, I, there's a couple of things a little odd about it, uh, but but overall, I really like it. And uh, it's got some interesting primary source material, which is nice, too. And again, this guy's got a bunch of stuff. It's called The History of Vampires in New England. And, um, you know, and it's not that long. Like, And, and what's interesting is I, I got this at the local section in Barnes & Noble, but I actually saw it in CVS the other day. So, uh, and again, I doubt that it's in a CVS in Kansas or in California, but uh, but here there's the CVS has like a local section, and this book was on the shelf, so I thought that was pretty neat. And uh, so the other book, and this one is uh, interesting because it's closer to where I'm living now. Um, it's called uh, Marblehead Myths, Legends, and Lore, and it's actually really good. It's written by uh, Pam Matthias Peterson, and I'm not 100% sure, but I used to, um, I was a history student at Salem, uh, it's now Salem University. At the time, I think it was still Salem State College. And I interned at a, you know, some of the local museums, and I, I'm pretty sure I interned under her at one point. Um, I could be mistaken, because it was a while ago, and I don't know, I, I don't have a picture of the author, so I can't, I, and I don't remember everybody's name very well. But, um, but either way, it was at one of the places that I, uh, that I interned at. And, uh, and so that grabbed my attention, but also this one, and maybe it's just because I'm, you know, <laughs> a former history student. This one's really well written. I, I like the way that she wrote it. It's it's very clear. It's not bogged down in any kind of academic language, um, but it's very precise and it's very uh, evocative when it needs to be, but not so evocative that you feel like she's deviating from history or facts. So it's just the sort of what I, what I call like the no BS style of, of history narrative. Um, and also because uh, the writer is, um, was a, I think she was the director of the Marbleheaded Museum and Historical Society. Uh, the good thing about that, so, so like a lot of books that you get in history, they're written by professors of history, which is great. I mean, I, I have a lot of books written by professors and I love them. Um, but the cool thing about books that are written by people that are, you know, uh, you know, work at the museums or work at the historical societies is, uh, is they have a very practical function. And so I find that they're often really, really knowledgeable about things that sometimes professors might gloss over. Not always, but a lot of times. Like if, if you want to know really specific information about a place, you go to the local historical society and you will find that information. And a lot of times if you talk to a professor whose area of expertise that is, they'll direct you to uh, the local historical society. So historical societies are a really great source of information. And I thought that it was uh, interesting that the book was written by uh, the, 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 the lead of that historical society. Um, 
the director, I should say. Um, but because uh, you just with these local books, you never know what you're going to get. You, you you can get a person who's a professional historian. You can get a person who's doing this as you know they're you know maybe they have their their background is more in literature or something, and they're kind of doing this as a, um, a pursuit of writing. Uh, sometimes you'll get uh, people who are like history teachers or things like that. And sometimes you just get people who are, you know, uh, you know, that's not, they're not uh, specialized in history, but they have an interest. And so you get a wide variety of voices, which is what I really like about um, this particular topic. There's not like a, it's not like history or some other areas where you, you're only getting, um, you're only getting things written by people that have a particular degree or have a particular profession. Uh, you could be anything, and it seems like you could write a book on this sort of subject. Uh, and and I think that again, the good thing about that is, well, you know, I love I love the writing style of this book in particular. But you get a very wide variety of writing styles, and I just think it's good. I think I, I I'm not a big believer in there being, you know, online. Oftentimes, especially if you're in writing circles or if you're in gaming circles or design circles you'll see advice on how to write well. And I'm not a big believer in having homogenous uh, writing advice or writing style. Uh, I, I think that you know everybody should sort of find their own voice. And I kind of have a blue-collar approach to, you know, I, I think sometimes we get snobbish about these things. And so, um, so again, it's one of the reasons why I like this genre. But... Uh, but this book in particular is very well written. Um, it's it's very, I would say, very meticulous. But also, it's not it's not bogged down in details that are difficult to work your way through. Um, it's not it's not uh, it, it's very entertaining. Um, and so I'm only a few chapters in, but you know, for example, it talks about uh, in chapter two. I was just reading about uh, a guy named uh, uh, I think it's Wizard Dimond. I don't know if it's Dimond or Diamond. It's spelled D I M O N D, and I'm not sure the actual pronunciation of that. Um, but he's the, uh, I think he's the grandfather of Maul Pitcher, who was, uh, sort of a prophetess of, uh, and seer who lived in Lynn. Um, and again, not to be confused with the, uh, uh, the, the, the other Molly Pitcher. Um, but, uh, but she's somebody who's very famous and, uh, known, uh, about locally. Uh, Lynn, Massachusetts was a, a big area of the spiritualist movement here. It was like the epicenter. And so there's a lot of interesting stuff that happened there. And well before that, uh, you know, she was um, somebody who was known to have advised like revolutionary uh, uh, heroes and generals and things like that. Um, you know, people would uh, like, like captains of ships wouldn't wouldn't leave port without you know getting her uh, uh, her reading on whether it was going to be good weather or not. Um, you know, so and she's a, a very interesting woman when you look into her life. Um, and there's a book, um, which I've read some of. It's it's a little bit old and difficult at times. Um, uh, one one day I want to sort of sit down and read the whole thing. It's kind of hard to get a good copy though. But it's called the Celebrated Molly Pitchers. Or sorry, Celebrated Mall Pitchers Prophecies. Um, you can basically get it online for free these days, uh, and it's pretty interesting. Um, and so, you know, this book gets into that. It gets into um, one of the one, uh, somebody who was hanged as a witch from Marblehead. It gets into some of the local legends and uh, you know early uh, stories of, of the founding of the town. 
Um, but it's just all very interesting stuff, uh, and it's it's a fairly, you know, I would say fairly light read. It's not. It's it's only about I don't know. It's, on, it's like a hundred pages, maybe, hundred twenty-two pages, but that's including the index. So it's it's not like a it's not like one of these four hundred page history books or anything like that. It's very, it's 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 something you can sort of sit down. What I've been doing is like when I go do laundry, I'll read like a chapter, um, and I'm really enjoying it. And and again, this is all uh, with strange tales of New England in mind. And I I took a break from it. I I really needed to um, uh, recharge myself creatively a bit. Um, I I'd been working on so many projects, and sometimes you get tunnel vision when you're working on things. And so I just, uh, I, I needed to get back to Ogregate for a little bit because I was finding that I was not remembering things as well as I should with Ogregate. And I had just released uh, uh, Sons, of Lady, Sons of Lady 87. So I took a break and got back into Ogregate and started talking about Righteous, uh, righteous Blood with the Blade. And, and now I'm uh, getting back into Strange Tales New England. The, the book itself is actually largely done, and now it's sort of more a matter of revision and putting the finishing touches on things and fleshing out areas that I left gaps in. Like sometimes when I design something, if I know what something's going to be, I'll leave, a, I'll leave it blank for a while and then get back to it um, as I'm working on other things because you have to jump around a document a lot. Um, sometimes that's dangerous, though, because then you go back and you don't have no idea what you tried to do. Um, so I have to go in and I have to, I have to flesh out some gaps. I'm also going to change a lot of things. Um, I, as you, sometimes you, know, you sort of start layering more and more ideas and you get a better sense of things and you have to kind of go through and revise. And so, you know, I've written like f three or four introductions and I think I'm probably going to revise the introduction again. Um, you know, and, and my GM section is filled with ideas, but I need to really thread everything better. Um, so just stuff like that. And, and reading books like this is a big part of uh, just getting back into the swing of it and also getting some crucial uh, information uh, while I'm at it. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I don't know when I'm going to be releasing that. I'm taking my time with everything right now. Um, and, you know, you know, we'll see when it comes out. But uh, I have the maps, and now we're moving. We should be moving into the art phase fairly soon. And so... It, it, it'll be uh, ready to go, uh, you know, once I sort of have settled on all of the details of the manuscript, I think. Um, yeah, so that's basically what's going on. Uh, you know, I, I, it's been a while, so I wanted to do kind of a long, really casual one of these things. Uh, also, I wanted to see how well I can do this because I haven't talked off the cuff in a long time. This is all off the cuff, by the way, if you couldn't tell. Well, I'm sure you can, but th this is all, you know, just you know just uh uh me just talking off the top of my head and so which would explain all the ums and oohs i'm sure so so yeah so the other thing about strange tales is it, uh, of new england in particular is that uh it's getting into a lot of um uh, it's pulling a lot from like dante and stuff like that so uh so something that i'm doing and I, i'm not i don't really want to draw attention to this because i feel like it's really just for my own personal satisfaction. It's not really, it doesn't make the game more gameable. Um, it's just something that I'm kind of doing because I like it. Um, and it's also forcing me to think out of the box sometimes. But one thing that I'm doing is I'm taking um, uh, all of the, so I'm taking Purgatorio from Dante, which is the section of the Divine Comedy on Purgatory. And there are, um, I forget the exact number of cantos that there are in the, uh, in the purgatorio but however many there are 
there's uh, that many locations on my main map in the uh, in the book, and for each one, I, I I I went through and I kind of originally just made them, um, and then I kind of later would reorder them a bit to fit some of this, but uh, but what I what I wanted to do was kind of have that clash with me then going through and reading each canto and revising it with the canto in mind or layering things from the canto into there thematically. Um, and, and I found that interesting because it was a cool way. Number one, it was a very interesting way to read Dante. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've read, uh, uh, I've read the Inferno, but I hadn't read the Purgatorio before. Um, I think I'd read portions of it, but I hadn't read it like, you know, all the way through. And so, um, and it's very, I'm not going to pretend like I'm, I have a deep understanding of Dante or anything. I just am interested in him. Um, so I, uh, but that, what that forced me to do was it forced me cause, cause, it, cause what I did too, when I read each, I'm not, I'm not a literary person. I have a background in history, which in some ways is good. But when I, when I start trying to dig into something like Dante, I, I do need a little bit of assistance, understanding everything. Um, so I, what I did was I read the, I read the canto, then I would watch a lecture on the canto. Like you, I found that it was fairly easy to find, uh, programs on YouTube and other places where there was a professor, various, you know, schools giving a lecture on each of the cantos. And so I, I would go and I would listen to the lecture and then I would go try to read like an essay somewhere on the canto that gets into some of the themes, uh, especially one from like a religious point of view. So I understood, uh, what the meaning was religiously. Uh, and then I would kind of weave that in. And, and so what it did though, was it, it, uh, it would often disrupt what I was like, I would have this idea and then the canto kind of comes in and it, uh, and like, oh, I have to, you know, if I want this to work thematically, I have to make this change, but also I have to introduce this idea. And so it would add complexity to it. It would also sort of, uh, shake out some of the lazier ideas because the weaker ideas were the ones that were easier to replace with newer ideas now inspired by the purgatorio. But also what was interesting was I found that a lot of the stuff aligned, um, which I'm sure is just coincidence, but uh, it was interesting that a lot of the things were aligning and I was finding the connective tissue and then I could expand on that. Um, so for me, it was just, a, and again, this does not add an ounce of gameability, I don't think. I think at best it adds some complexity, it adds some layers. So in that sense, it might. But this was just for my own personal satisfaction and also for sort of putting a nice little bow on the project, um, you know, in terms of like what the map looks like and all this stuff. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, uh, so, you know, again, the, the point is, you know, this is a game. It takes a lot of inspiration from stuff like Jacob's Ladder, that kind of thing. It takes uh, inspiration from the X-Files. It takes inspiration from William Peter Blatty. It's, 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 uh, it's it's uh, I mean it's all kind of focused, but um, uh, you know it, it's 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 uh, it 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 it, it uh, I don't know it's it it it, it, it it's not um, it's not firmly in horror or in um, or in sort of like uh, fantasy. It's kind of. It, it, and it's not it's not like strictly New England horror, even though, again, it draws a lot on H.P. Lovecraft and it draws plenty 
on um, Nathaniel Hawthorne and people like that. Uh, not a huge amount from Hawthorne, but some. I, I, uh, me and my wife like to go to the Hawthorne House in Salem, uh, which is the, the House of the Seven Gables, um, which I'll, I'll bore you with that on another podcast. But, uh, but you know, it, it does take some inspiration from Hawthorne. The problem with Hawthorne is um, his writing style, for me, is a little bit, I don't know, I, f- I find it a little sludgy to get through at times. There's a lot of really good ideas in Hawthorne. Um, but it's a very old style of writing, and so I don't always find it that pleasurable to read. A writer like Lovecraft, I enjoy more. Um, you know, there are other, you know, New England writers, uh, and and non-New England writers writing New England stories that I've taken some inspiration for from. But I'm really trying not to make this uh, a New England horror game, but a horror game set in New England, and. Uh, I don't know how well I succeeded or not at that because uh, New England's kind of baked into me. So, you know, we'll see. But I think what you'll also see is that uh, it's not a very stereotypical depiction of New England because I've been living here well, pretty much my whole life. I spent five years out in California, but for most of you, but I was born here. I moved when I was like eight and I came back when I was like 13. So I, 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 I've lived in this area my whole life and... Um, and I, but I do have a sense of contrast because of the, uh, the time away. Um, but I think when you see New England in the movies and stuff, and, and this, this is whether it's like a crime movie about Boston or whether it's like a, a movie that's trying to capitalize on sort of the New England autumnal landscape or whatever, is it's a really, number one, it's like they're depicting New England 30 or 40 years ago most of the time. But number two, uh, I don't think a lot of the concepts that get imported or transported or transposed or whatever the term would be uh, align as well as people think. So you'll see a movie or read a book or read a story about um, about a small town in New England and you know what that means. And I don't think I do, I I think people import more prevalent ideas about rural life from other parts of the country that maybe have more play in the media uh, onto onto uh, a place like Massachusetts or New Hampshire, and it doesn't quite resonate the same. So I think one thing that I'll be able to do, and again, I'm not saying that somebody who's not from New England shouldn't be writing stuff about New England. It's, it's an interesting place. I think everybody should be. And I don't really happen to care if somebody gets something wrong or if it feels like New England 30 years ago. But one of the cool things about I think my point of view here is that I can I can give some insight into what it really looks like. So everything that I'm putting in the game, it might not look like New England as a lot of readers imagine it because they're going to see things in there that, that, that they don't associate with New England. Um, for example, I'm going to focus on some of the more urban environments that we have here, like you know cities and things like that. And usually when people do New England, it's like suburbs or um, you know uh, you know like a very fall landscape or Salem or whatever. Um, which is a city, but it's not not in the sense that I'm talking about. So, uh, so I'm just going to have a broader range of imagery, I think. Number one, but also um, I have a really good sense of the geography, and so uh, whenever I've made games about other places, one of the hard parts of that is I don't live. You know, if I don't live there, I can't really know what it's like on the ground, and so that's fine. It's a game. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really affect things too badly. But I was able to capitalize on knowing, you know, pretty intimately what it means to travel from, you know, 
Peabody to Newburyport, for example, um, you know, and and what it means to to go north along the coast versus to go you know west, um, and just stuff like that. So you know, so so I've uh, I've I've been able to um, you know just incorporate some of that stuff, and also most of the players in my group are from different parts of Massachusetts or New England, so we're getting. Uh, so when there is something that I don't know about, I can get a pretty good uh, uh, handle on it if I ask somebody else. Uh, one of the things that comes up a lot is like the pronunciation of place names, especially in Massachusetts. And there's been ones that even I have um, that I've not done done well with. Uh, you know, if I don't hear them that much, or if I just you know am not thinking. And so um, and so you know so that's been kind of interesting when you know if I'm talking about a town that's like outside my area in Massachusetts but somebody else knows it you know they can say right away so like one that came up was I think I like there's a town called Leminster and uh and I even know that this one is called Leminster but I forgot and so I uh, I called it Leominster I think and I was pretty quickly corrected um but a lot of the place names around here they they're written phonetically a certain way and then they're pronounced totally different so uh, you know, a good example that people would recognize instantly is like Gloucester. You would, you, if you looked at Gloucester as it's written on the page, it doesn't resemble how it sounds. There's a lot of places like that. Um, you know, another one would be Haverhill, um, which actually some of my players are from Haverhill. Uh, it's it looks like it's pronounced Haverhill, um, but we're so used to pronouncing it as Haverhill that when I pointed that out to somebody in my group they couldn't even imagine how somebody would pronounce it another way and then when i told them haverhill was the way people sometimes mistook it uh to be pronounced uh this person was very surprised because um, they just wouldn't have thought of pronouncing it like that so so yeah so again i've gone on way too long of a tangent here with this stuff so i'm gonna i'm gonna end it here but uh but again check out the sons of lady 87 um if you get if you get a copy uh Definitely share your thoughts online, write a review, uh, spread the word. Um, it's really hard to market these days, so I, 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 I really am grateful anytime people post something online or you know anything that just you know helps spread the, the message about our games. Um, and uh, and if you have any questions, feel free to go onto the blog and send me a question on our comment page. And so yeah, so I'm I'll head out, and until next time, I'll talk to you later. <laughs>